Welcome to Life with this is George G and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, Strong and Powerful Libby Gill. Libby, are you ready to do this? I am ready, George. All right, let's go. Libby is a keynote speaker, an executive coach, a leadership expert, and a best-selling author many times over. She's guiding leaders to grow their careers through adopting a lift-as-you-climb culture in a former career slash life. She was the head of communications for Sony Universal and Turner Broadcasting, and also the brains behind the launch of the Dr. Phil show. Libby, welcome back on the show. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, why you do what you do. Oh, hey, thank you. Uh, well, as you said, I started out in communications, uh, always on the television side of the Hollywood studio world. It was wild and wacky, sometimes fun, mostly just business and corporate. People assume I have all these great stories about TV, but it was just you know, a, a conglomeration. Um, and after I did that for a while, I just I spent a whole career in that. But what I really loved was building people into leaders, helping them recognize their own own career greatness. And I always had the biggest team of the youngest people because we were the talent handholders. So it was a very time and labor intensive kind of work. And it was really great fun for me to see people rise up through the ranks and just really grow and flourish. And my babies are all over Hollywood still in, in key leadership positions. And so I took that with me when I decided I'm through with television. It was a fun ride. I very, you know, I had great times. And I started a coaching business because frankly, I couldn't figure out where do I go where I can write and speak to people and think about things and help people build their own leadership and their own career path. And I, <laughs> there wasn't a job like that. So I, I just kind of created one and I never took a business class in my life, George. I was just completely winging it. And thankfully, 22 years later, it, it worked out pretty well. Well, certainly kudos to you for being able to sit back or step back and say, you know, I, I want to do these things, this thing, this thing, and this thing. And there's not a box that that, that really fits into, but I think I can just do my own thing and, and make that happen. And you did. Yeah. And it was, it was funny. I had, I had speaking of box, boxed myself into that world of public relations when I really wanted to be a creative executive. I sort of took the first job that would have me and happened to be good at it and rose up the ladder really quickly. And that was great, except I found myself being the corporate spokesperson, the, you know, making other people's thoughts, uh, putting those out into the world. And there was a point of me that thought, well, maybe I have something to say. And it was a test of do I or don't I? And as soon as you become even, I'm not a, certainly not a celebrity, but a, a little bit of a public figure, you know, people are either going to throw tomatoes or applaud or do nothing at all, which is the, maybe the worst of the three. And I just felt like, okay, I think I can handle that now. And turns out you were right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been <laughs> fun. And I've, you know, I've met so many awesome people like you that just, that really want to put something into the world. We are living in a troubled times in a crazy world. And for those people that just think, I, of course, I want to make a living. I want to do well by my family and my employees, but I, I want to do something that's positive. And I really respect those people and we need more of them. And I think, you know, folks like you that are spreading those, I always say you're fighting a good fight. I, I think those are the people that that people look to as leaders. And I think that's incredibly important right now. Well, I appreciate that. And I totally agree. 
I'm, uh, I like, like you and so many other people are frustrated by certain things that we see going on and it can be, it's, it's a pull and a lure to kind of stare at those big problems and just sort of be frustrated and want to holler at the moon. The reality is that when we do the things that we have control over and do our work and impact those people that we have influence over, that's how the problems get solved. Yeah, I am convinced that it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on, but I, the more I see our, our country at work, the more I think that, that the federal government may not solve our issues. So do what you can on a local level in terms of you know climate, you know, homelessness, mental health, whatever those are. Yeah, exactly like you said, influence your world it's, instead of looking back and, and moaning about things that are legitimate, but you may not have any control or input into. This idea of lift as you climb, I feel like it's 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 very much along the lines of what we're talking about right now. Um, is it a function of once I realize that I am somebody who is doing good work and I can have an impact on others, that it's almost a responsibility to do so? Well, I do think it's that, but I think it can come much earlier than that. It is simply the willingness to say, I'm going to just put you on this arm and you on this arm and take you with me. And it's it's the old African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And it's that idea of of support and accountability. To me, those are the most two, two most important things you can get from another person or that you can offer to others. And we were just talking a little bit earlier about, you know, I'm a big believer in in group support and having having other people to tell you the truth, to give you their honest feedback. They don't have to be a million miles ahead of you. They can be just, you know, a step or two ahead or they can be completely new and just give you their perspective. But if you're not willing to take that risk and say, hey, I'd love your input, I'd love your feedback, and I'm forever telling young leaders this. It's like, well, I don't get any feedback. Well, when's the last time you asked for it? You know, you have to manage that. You have to insist on some of those things. I, I once did a 360 assessment as an executive coach. I go in and do those in organizations. And a, one of my clients said he had not had a, a, a review, you know, the, the annual appraisal in seven years. I said, well, how did you let seven years go by? You know, he's, he's ready to blame it on his boss, which was not untrue. But, you know, what are you doing about it? Well, I didn't really want all that feedback. <laughs> like, OK, then you're not going to you're not going to have any inkling of what the reality or the truth is. Isn't that such a human thing? Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather just duck my head under the desk and hide from it as opposed to hear something that is potentially, you know, it's going to hurt my feelings. It's, you know, toughen up. Be ready for those things. It's, it's, it's interesting. I look at this debate, and today something came out about trigger warnings in college, and it was a very strong pushback from a university that said, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're not doing trigger warnings. And it's that kind of thing is it should we? And that's one of those other polarizing things we deal with today. Yes, you want to be sensitive to people's feelings and their traumas and their past, but on the other hand, do you want to say, well, wait a minute, you're not going to limit my free speech. And no, you have to toughen up and recognize the reality of the world. And those are the conundrums of leadership. Looking at that balance, it's that art and science of 
where do you push and where do you pull? That's the that's that's the big question right there, huh? That's the question. I, and I don't think anyone can ever solve it completely. We're all just going to continue to be works in progress. But it's interesting what the pandemic has done in terms of making people at least have the veneer of, of empathy. I think people's eyes are open to the fact that you know, once you look into people's kitchens and, you know, their their home offices, whether it's in a closet or at a, a mansion and recognizing, hey, these people have lives outside of what they do in their livelihood. And we've got to be respectful and and uh, and and recognize that that some of that will come into the workplace as it should. So the importance of taking things head on taking the feedback, asking for receiving it, good, bad, ugly, indifferent mm -hmm. is a huge growth opportunity. So that's me as an individual. And then not creating any kind of a zero gravity environment where there's no sharp edges, where young people will never be hurt, only pretty much guarantees that they're going to get badly hurt when the rubber meets the road in the real world. Yeah. And there's frustration on both sides. And I have two young adult kids and two young adult stepkids. And and there is that feeling of, um, yeah, but we don't want to inflame or, you know, these situations are hard for young people. I think it's probably harder today than it's been, I don't know, maybe ever. On the other hand, when my son was in a history class and they were giving trigger warnings, it was a World War II history class. I thought, really? You need a trigger warning to study the Holocaust? I mean, it just, it, and he recognized that that was sort of ironic, but it's a it's a tricky thing to navigate. And I think the most important thing leaders can do is, is recognize there is no one size fits all. That certainly there are baseline things like trust and respect. And there's this great Gallup study that says that what followers want from their leaders are in fact trust, stability, compassion, and hope. And that's the one, I use that a lot in the work that I do because I write about the science of hope, which is called hope theory, all about um, hopefulness and what that means. I just decided it comes from medicine about the idea that if you are hopeful and believe that you can contribute, that you've got agency towards outcomes, and in this case, this doctor is talking about medical outcomes, then you're a bigger part. You play a role in your own treatment and health. And I thought, well, that sounds like the workplace to me. And people have to see a better future. You have to connect them to this is where we're all going. And people say those in all kinds of ways that basically mean, hey, here's the outcome we're driving towards. But to me, it's I look at it through the lens of, of hope, of a more positive outcome than where we are today. That's as, as a human being uh, on your personal life and, and certainly in your professional life. Don't we all want things to be better and continue that growth in our in ourselves and our teams and our organizations? I think that we do. I hope so. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I hope so, too. I was reading uh, an article this in, in The Wall Street Journal. Uh, about how a lot of schools are getting rid of homework and deadlines. And I just couldn't disagree with that anymore. It's kind of going to what we're talking about. Um, and we need to be able to establish and all agree on that this is the baseline, that this is these are the fundamental truths. And every organization must have that to, to be able to build the trust, stability, compassion, and hope. It has to have that foundation. 
Yeah, but sometimes that foundation is is better served being, you know, a plaque in the HR hallway or the or the kitchen, the cafeteria for the company, which is not nearly enough. If it is not woven into everyday language, into sort of the fiber of the culture, then it really doesn't mean a lot. So an organization can have a a stated truth like, hey, we're in this tech company. You get all the vacation time you want. But we don't really want you to take it because mm. you know you're, you, we're going to notice if you do. So it's really about companies, no matter how large they are. And of course, the bigger they are, I think the the more opportunities for them to get away from those core truths. You just have so many more layers. But yes, I think that's those are the foundations, and decide what they are, and if and where you're willing to bend. And just like homework, okay, well, well this much a night. No, we're not going to give you six hours of homework when you're in the second grade, but. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to take home a worksheet or two and fill those out so you get in the habit of that. It's, yeah, these are, you know, and it, I think it probably starts that young. Where do we start with with young people about really thinking about stepping up and being leaders? And I had the good fortune to work with Rice University on a program that they had started. It's called the Door Institute, named after John Door, who was a early um, Google executive worked with Google and Amazon, a lot of those um, companies in the early tech days, great leader. And he donated, this is all public, he donated $50 million to Rice, which was his alma mater and, and his wife's. They were both engineers from there because he felt like we need more leaders who are ready for business. And this group set up a coaching, not a coaching, a leadership institute. Coaching was one of the modalities, but to train and develop anybody who came in, just just self-selected, I choose to be a leader and whatever that looked like, athletics, you know, running the, the college coffee shop in anything. And now they've got I think about half the student population going through that program and now becoming coaches themselves. So people, when you offer those opportunities, and that's pretty rare, and I came in to write a book about it with them called Leadership Reckoning, but people want those opportunities. And and they first thought, well, we really should start with the sophomore level because freshmen are going to be too overwhelmed. Nope, tested that out and found out, no, they were wrong. Everybody at every level from freshmen on up to graduate students were looking for additional leadership training. So there's such an appetite if we speak to people's souls, I think, you know, it's the head heart. If we can do that, that's that's the most important thing we can do, whether you're a leader in your community, your family, your kids school, it doesn't matter. But it it's purely a decision to step up and lead. I think that that's super powerful. And that so many of the students opted into this program is evidence that to, to, to what you've been talking about, that people want to be leaders. They want to be thought of, to think of themselves in that way. And they're capable at any age, 18, 17, 25, 55, 75, five years old of taking on responsibility. For sure. And the fascinating thing is 
the things these young people were trained on, and they weren't corporate skills. This was not really job related. It wasn't that sort of mentoring. Self-awareness and communication and empathy. All, same things I deal with with senior executives, you know, people in the C-suite. Self-awareness and empathy and communication. It, it doesn't change what you're doing and how you use it changes throughout a career or a lifetime, but those those basic truths of, of goodness and kindness uh, and leadership, I think, are, are relevant across the board. Goodness and kindness. The world, all of our problems might just be solved if, uh, if, if, if we were a little bit kinder. I know. Maybe. I know. If we could... I, you know, I, I guess this is an age old problem it may or may not ever be solved. But, yeah, if everybody just believed in good intent in the other person and kindness and offer that kindness. Yeah, we would have a much less cruel world. And that would be such a, a really beautiful thing. It would so, be. And I think all we can do is our part. We can do what we can do. We can role model it for others. We can teach and train in it and hope it sinks in. We can't make anybody do it, but I think we can spread it. I, I certainly agree. And to model it, to be the living example of it, I think is a super inspiring thing. And your story, obviously, just the first chapter alone or or the chapter about you being the head of communications for these massive organizations is incredible. And then you've gone on to have this separate career, having this massive impact and whatever the next act might be, Livy, maybe you'll, maybe you'll write a novel or something like that. Oh, George, you, I know. And you, we can say this. I was already telling you that I just, as my passion project, my nobody in the world is begging me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway <laughs> project. I decided, and this was a while ago, I started this novel. I took one class in novel writing with my my hubris. I thought, I'm going to start at novel four because I've already written 100 pages without a clue what I'm doing and took a class. And, you know, I, I'd already written. I've written my entire life. I mean, communications, public relations before coaching. So this has been part of my life for a long time. So it, it wasn't the struggle. And for those who don't want to write, I understand but I, I dusted it off during COVID and then was able to sell it. So I hope I'll have a novel out in the marketplace next year and maybe a new career. So we'll see where it goes. I love it. Well, Libby, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can people learn more about you? How can, how can organizations or event planners engage with you and bring you in to speak? Where can people get your books? All of it. Just Go to my website, LibbyGill.com, and if you sign up on my website, you'll get my once-in-a-while newsletter. But also, I just started a free monthly coaching group, and it's just my way to say thank you all, and I love to keep in touch and know what everybody's doing. We meet once a month for 90 minutes, and I've got folks from, from London to, I don't know, across the states and beyond. So... Uh, it's it's great fun, and I invite anybody that wants to hop on and check it out. They're more than welcome to, and they'll get the email if they if they sign up on my website. Oh, incredible! Well, if you enjoyed as much as I did, show Libby your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to libbygill.com, l i b b y g i l l.com, 
and take advantage of that incredible offer that Libby just made of, of joining that free monthly coaching group and take advantage of the trust and stability and compassion and hope that obviously Libby is, is fostering and nurturing within the people that she's working with and check out her books and keep an eye out for the novel sometime in the future. And, and if you are in need of a speaker for your next event or organization or company, obviously you've uh, heard how great Libby is. So reach out. Thanks again, Libby. Thank you, George. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.